Why, hello there. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Jonathan Edwards with pureandsimplebible.com, and I'm so grateful to be in this study. Uh, if you haven't checked out part one, I really prefer for you to pause it and go find part one of this series on the covering. I'm the guest, and Stuart Crouch on his podcast, Real Bible Application, invited me on to talk about 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and I said I would on the condition that I could also use the recording. So Stuart's the host, I'm the guest, that's the way the format works, but it's still a conversation about Bible things, specifically in 1 Corinthians 11. You really need to get the first part of this before you jump into part two, so if you haven't, like I said, pause and go listen to the other one first. And if you're here and ready to go, then let's jump right into the conversation, shall we, on the covering in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, part 1. All right, are we clear to move to point number 5? Yeah, this is a great one, again, about submission. And, you know, the word submission is um, glaringly absent from this section of Scripture, at least in the translations that I use. So for us to talk about submission so freely, some people might take offense to that. But really, there are many times where we use words that aren't maybe the one in the Bible, but we're summarizing it. I'll give you a great example. The word relationship. That word's not in the Bible the way that we often use it to describe our relationship with God. Now, it talks about he's our father. talks about how Jesus is like our husband, right? And so what are these things? These are relationships. And that, I, I, I'm going on that tangent. <laughs> We've had that discussion before, because I remember I gave a lesson at uh, Valley Parkway. Now, it's Denton County then. And I talked a lot about our relationship with God. And you're like, is there a word that we can use instead of relationship? <laughs> that, and I was like, well, I don't know of any other word to use. Uh, yeah, it, it bothers me because I wish we had one. Yeah. But the fact remains, because we don't have one, we, we create one that helps embody it. And mm -hmm. because the one with relationship is so uh, accepted, I don't know of anybody that disagrees that we have a relationship with God. Well, that's how it is at 1 Corinthians 11 when it comes to submission. I don't see the word, but I see its fingerprints all over these points. Mm -hmm. And we're going to find that, especially here in number five, where women, number five, women have a symbol of authority on their head because of angels. That's mm -hmm. the fifth point. So write that one down. Now, I will summarized because I do it all the time when I teach this, because when people are hearing it for the first time, you've got to have repetition. So starting at the beginning, what's the big foundational point? Paul delivered traditions for us to all follow. What's the traditions? Number two, God has an ordained order of authority. What is this order of authority? Number three and four, men and women, if they want to honor their head, have to men uncover, women cover their head. And here we are at number five. This idea of women covering their head has a very unique and special honored 
role of teaching angels. Now, that's my word, teaching angels. The Bible's word is because of the angels. You get, you open a commentary on this verse, and for every commentary you open, you'll have a different position mm-hmm. on it. I, I readily admit I am not the theologian that a lot of those men are. At the same time, I'm curious if a lot of the theologians of the past, because they were operating in a framework that's built on a a faulty foundation, trying to find ways for these scriptures to work for only the Corinthians and not for the rest of us. You know, they wanted it to be cultural. And I'm trying to advocate that this is for all of us. And what I'm advocating to you, sister, whoever's listening to this, is that this particular role that you take is God's way for you to teach the angelic host. And I think it's absolutely fascinating Mm. uh, that angels who are in God's presence look down to you in this role of submission and go, wow, so that's what submission looks like. I mean, it gives me chills just Mm -hmm. thinking about it. There are a couple times, this one being one and another one in First Peter chapter one. I better go over there. I'll be a bad preacher if I don't quote a scripture right. So uh, my anxiety is making me have to look over there to confirm. But uh, let's see. Yeah, I think I read a commentary today on on this verse, and it gave five different possibilities. <laughs> there you go. Um <laughs> In 2 Peter 1, it wasn't 1 Peter, it was in 2 Peter 1, verse uh, 19 through 21. I'm just not going to remember it, am I? Good night. Maybe it is 1 Peter. Take it away, brother, while I keep looking at this. 1 Peter one twelve is that the, <sighs> the verse you're looking for? I, for some reason, had 20 in my mind. I just couldn't find it. Yeah. Um in first Peter one twelve, thank you. It talks about how angels long to look into these things and what Christians are teaching angels is how grace works, that God's grace gives us a second chance. Whereas when angels, when there was that great uh, war in heaven and, and Satan and his angels were cast out, God's holy angels look at us getting a second chance And they wonder, will our brethren get a second chance? Mm. And they're taught, wow, look at these people who by faith, and they've never seen God, are obeying God. And that when they fall, they choose to come back and they get, so they long to look into grace. They also long to look into submission. And sister, it's not me who gets to teach them that, it's you. I think that's very special that this command is a place of honor uh, for you to teach angels about submission. And just a, a final thought about that. Um, there are good angels and there are bad angels. And I believe it's in, you've got your notes in front of you. I don't have my notes. Is it in Jude where it talks about angels who keep their positions of authority? Jude 6. There you go. Uh, the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode He's reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. The idea is that these angels rejected authority, and that's why they were cast out. So here you are teaching, admonishing, 
and then also judging. You know, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6 in the book that we're currently studying talks about how um, we're going to judge angels. In verse 3, do you not know that we shall judge angels? How do we do that? Are we going to be like on trial as the judge and the angel comes forward and we say, guilty, not guilty? Of course not. It's no. through our godly example that we judge others. And it's not that we uh, are going around in a really judgy way, but rather our good conduct, our righteousness actually condemns sin. Mm -hmm. And so, sister, when you have that symbol of authority on your head, you're judging angels. You're teaching angels. And to me, that's it's fascinating. So this is another dynamic of how submission works. Simply by modeling submission, you teach and judge a heavenly being, a rank of heavenly beings that we can't even see right now. I think if people just take the time to really think about that, especially women, to see the the privilege and the opportunity and the responsibility uh, in all that, it does kind of give you chills to think about that. Yeah, that this angel... is why we need more than pot shots. Because a pot shot in a sermon that's just 30 seconds that says you better do that or else you're going to hell doesn't convey what God wanted us to know about this command. Right. No, I think you said it well, and I, I, I will agree with you. <laughs> Pat each other back. Yeah, there you go. Uh, point number six. Uh, okay. What do we have for, for point number six of seven? Uh, number six is, I'm so glad it's there. Naturally, I want this point to be there because I'm, I guess I'm an, a selfish, arrogant creature who's only worried about himself. But I think when I preach this, and then actually, Stuart, what we're doing right now is slightly anxiety inducing for me, because even though it's just the two of us right now, I know this is going out into a greater audience. Mm -hmm. And what I worry about is somebody listening to a soundbite, clipping a soundbite out, and then I'm saying something that then gets blown up in some outrageous way because instead of listening to the you know, hour-plus podcast, they're listening to five seconds. And That never uh, happens yeah. in our society. <laughs> yeah. It won't anymore now that Elon Musk has bought Twitter. <laughs> no. Um, but, yeah, th that's a reality that I struggle with. I have different roles, different responsibilities. And so when I work with people in a therapeutic setting, I do want them to feel safe uh, and equal because a lot of times family dynamics comes into play there that people really need to feel empowered. Mm -hmm. And so they might, in that role interpret what I'm saying in this role where we're interpreting the Bible and kind of misconstrue it. So I say that, and I share this anxiety that I have with, with um, the scripture because I'm so grateful that this sixth point is in there. So building off that foundation from one all the way to six, it says, number six, God ordained authority does not make men more valuable than women. 
that's, so we need a, to... that's a big one. Um, yes. As, especially people have a tendency to look at a man in a pulpit as more valuable than a, a woman in a private setting. Uh, you know, in many ways, a woman in a private setting can be more effective than a man from the pulpit. At least I feel that some way when I'm preaching from a pulpit. I don't, I don't feel very effective. Uh, yeah, I think this is an excellent point and it, it, it should change our thinking. Um, that, that men are the only ones of use in the church. And that's just simply not true. How sad it is for us to swing so far to one side or the other. Mm-hmm. One being that the only place that you could hear the word of God is in the public assembly. Mm-hmm. And that's the only place where teaching happens. The other extreme would be to diminish the role of public preaching because of how much can, good that can be accomplished through that capacity. The idea that 1 Corinthians 11 should be teaching us is everyone matters and every role matters and that God loves everyone and God uses everyone. Um, Mm -hmm. The thing about feeling insecure in your own identity and in your relationship with God is a lot of times that insecurity comes off like a bully. And Mm -hmm. so you're going to bully others to make yourself feel better. And may it never be that we would diminish someone else's role because we don't feel secure in our own. But um, what I'll read is the scripture. It's verse 11 and 12 of 1 Corinthians 11. It says, Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things come from God. Sorry, I just realized I read that in the ESV. So that's going to be maybe a little different than the other translation. But the point of this scripture for the Corinthians and for Americans and for anyone in any culture anywhere is that in God's order of authority, he loves everyone equally, that everyone is valued equally. And again, I think this is more relatable than we might think. Yes, we could have a lot of examples in a corporate culture where people are valued differently, but truly uh, look at what it should be when, if I were to work somewhere, I might have a different job than Steve and Bob and Sally and, you know, whatever, but our worth, as far as humans, our value, our worth transcends our job or our role. Sadly, the flip often happens where if Bob is the CEO and Sally is the uh, CFO and Bill is the mailman that goes around and delivers coffee, Bill, his identity is diminished and he's not as valuable as a person. So that mm-hmm. we, we relate to that in, in you know, corporate culture or whatever. And God is trying to take this shit, this this paradigm and shift it. And that's why the phrase is said, in the Lord, man is not independent of woman, nor is woman independent of man. Because in the world, whenever we do it our own way, where selfishness and ambition and arrogance and pride exists, we can really diminish another like their role isn't valuable, like they're not valuable. Mm-hmm. 
But 2,000 years ago, when Jesus died, that culture was so dominated from a male perspective that a woman's word was not as valuable as a man's in court. She was more equivalent to property than a partner. And so it's not an accident that in God's way, the first gospel messenger is a woman. Mary Magdalene was the mm -hmm. one that Jesus appeared to and said, go and tell my disciples. And I'll be there in a little bit. <laughs> there's, there's Jonathan's translation of what Jesus says. Yeah. But he tells to Mary Magdalene, go and tell them. And she goes and she tells them. That's not an accident that the Holy Spirit reveals that the first one to say he's risen is a woman. And that's because God is interested in shifting what happens often in culture, and that is we, we diminish each other's value. No, in God's culture, even though roles can be different, value is expressed, I love you. I want you in this church. I want you in heaven, whether you're male or female, Jew or Greek, slave or free, as Galatians 3, 26, 27 says, we're all one in Christ Jesus. I I, I agree. And whenever Saul set out to persecute the church, ironically, the writer of, of these very words here, um, <laughs> he set out to persecute both men and women. And I think that's significant because in Jewish culture, you wouldn't expect a persecution to be arising against women because they weren't known to be uh, knowledgeable or people who would be effective in religious conversations or anything like that. But in Christ, as Christians, they were they were potent. They were important. They were needed. Uh, and and we need strong women. We need strong women to teach the younger women. We need women who are uh, not uh, belittled in, into thinking that they're not valuable to the congregation uh, because they certainly are. And, and also, uh, men, just because you don't, you know, speak from the pulpit or you're not the best song leader or you don't lead a, a you know, well-worded prayer, uh, you're still valuable to the congregation, um, no yeah. matter what your role is. And we, we do, as humans, try to tear our importance. And that's an issue because God doesn't. I would suggest that I have a lot to learn about these principles. Just because I'm saying it doesn't mean that I still don't struggle with my own biases. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that important first step is to recognize that there are biases that I might have that I need to uncover and explore and expose. Otherwise, I'm going to be locked up in my own heart where I'm the Lord and Jesus isn't. Yeah. I think Point that's all I have on that one. Okay. Point seven. Uh, we're getting to the top of the pyramid here. Uh, yeah. w w we've built this foundation. It's a giant pyramid at this point. Uh, what is the peak of this pyramid? Um, the, the last point. Okay. 
They, they may be tired of me doing it, but I'm going to do it one more time. Number one, Paul delivered traditions for us to all follow. What tradition? Number two, that God has an ordained order of authority. What's that order? Number three and four, that men and women have roles when it comes to uh, that headship. Men are to uncover, women are to stay covered. Number five, women wear that covering to teach and judge angels. Number six, men are not better than women. Okay, so, and that gets us to the seventh and final point. And the question that a lot of people ask all the way through is what is the covering, right? So mm -hmm. we talked about that. Uh, if you want your prayers heard, men, you better not cover your head. Sisters, you want your prayers heard, you better keep it covered. Well, what is that covering? That's the seventh point. The seventh point is that long, in parentheses, uncut hair is the covering. Long hair is the covering. And the reason I put uncut in parentheses is because of the way uh, the word long is often interpreted. And so we'll get to that, but there's a whole lot to unpack um, in that point. So well, I don't know if you have questions for me or if you want me to just like dive in for the next 10 minutes on it. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, you're right. Long can be very subjective. Uh, yes, even depending on you know what your race is, you know, long could be very different um, in each person. So yeah, go ahead and unpack it. Okay, well, I'm going to read verse 13 through uh, 15, uh, 16. It says, "Judge amongst yourselves: Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her hair, with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it's a dishonor to him?" But if a woman has long hair, it's a glory to her, for her hair was given to her as a covering. But if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. Let me just mention 16 before I forget it, because sadly, people will misuse this verse to try to cancel out the first 15 verses. And they'll say, if anyone seems to be contentious, we don't have these customs, nor do the churches of God. That's a preposterous interpretation <laughs> that I've heard a lot of times. Really? What he is saying is we don't have a custom of being contentious. And what people try to make it into is, yeah, but verse 16 says we don't have this custom. This is for the Corinthians only. We don't have these customs in the church. And I'm just like, it's very hard not to pull my hair out when I hear that because of all of the scriptures that lead up to it to then try to just throw it away. So that, maybe that, I need that, to work on myself. That, that throws out verse one or point one that you made. Yes, it does. Thank you. Um, so I'm just going to go verse by verse, 13, 14, 15. Okay. Verse 13 is a rhetorical question. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? The rhetorical answer is no. We know it's not proper because of earlier where it said, hey, do you want to pray? You better keep your head covered. Now, that's the Jonathan Edwards translation, but that's the point of this section. It's proper to pray with your head covered. Is it proper to pray with it uncovered? The answer is no. Verse 14 says, does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it's a dishonor to him? This verse is a bit tricky. 
because of the word nature. It seems like at first glance, it's saying it's not natural for a man to grow long hair, which if you've been to any 80s rock show, it is very, very natural. It's actually quite luxurious to see them <laughs> shredding their guitars with, you know, that long hair. Plus, in other species of, of animal, um, males have long hair. There's the, the male lion has a luxurious mane and female lions are bald, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So it can't mean that just logically. So what does it mean? Well, the word nature in Greek just means God's natural order. And that's what this is. The whole thing has been about that anyway. God's natural order. God's order. So does not even God's natural order itself teach you that if man has long hair, that it's a dishonor to him? The the rhetorical answer is yes. Yes, that's what God's natural order teaches. That naturally, in God's system, there is a distinction between the the way that men and women should look. Now, I know that's very different from uh, a lot of, of what our culture is advocating for today. There are parts of what this movement is about that make sense to me. Like uh, little boys can't play with dolls and girls can't play with trucks. And my girls play with dolls and trucks, you know? So like, I get it when, whenever we try to, make everything so gendered that that you can't do anything anymore unless you know it it suddenly makes your identity something that you weren't trying to be i get it what the bible is advocating here though is that there is a distinction between men and women now we've looked through all of these scriptures and we've seen it over and over and over again the distinction is one of the way that we submit to God's authority. And there's other distinctions as well, but in context, it's talking about that. And so when it comes to hair, it's not so much about the hair being, this is what defines who I am as a woman. And and I, I keep using personal pronouns. People might be confused. I'm not talking about Jonathan when I say that. <laughs> <laughs> so a woman who wants to observe this command is not saying I'm observing this command so that people will identify me as a woman, nor am I a man. This is Jonathan talking, nor am I keeping my hair short so that people will identify me only as a man. I'm keeping my hair short so that people will identify me as submitting to God's authority. Hmm. And a woman who wants to obey this, lets her hair grow long, so that people will see that she is submitting to God's authority. And the reason that we know that is because of verse 15. Verse 15 is the icing on the cake as far as Paul, through the Holy Spirit, finally tying it all together. And he defines it now. He says in verse 15, But if a woman has long hair, it's a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. There's your definition. This whole time, what is a covering? Paul says her hair, her hair was given to her as a covering. And that long hair, um, we'll talk about what length is in just a minute. But that long hair, again, is meant to symbolize to the world that you submit to God. And that's the glory that you wear on your head is that covering, that long hair. And uh, anyway, this is kind of the end of maybe a verse by verse 
but this is definitely the one that has all of the what if questions and scenarios. So I do spend a few extra minutes um, addressing those. I guess before I do that, maybe you had input you wanted to share as well. Um, and then I'll I'll jump into my explanations or not. I'm maybe putting no, you on the spot. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I, I was just sitting here thinking about, you know, obviously this is a great uh, example to um, angels, as we mentioned before, but such a great example to unbelievers or potential believers um, in the world in which we operate. And whenever I see a, a woman with long hair, as I understand long hair in the, these verses, it is, a, I'm like, wow, that, that woman takes her Christianity seriously. And it, it's something that's praiseworthy in my mind that sh she's devoted to Christ. She's submitted herself to Christ. And I, I always see it as a very beautiful thing whenever I see that. And it sticks out to me and it does stand out, obviously. It does. It's definitely something that you notice. I, I think that's probably God's intention is it's the crown, the symbol that, that women have on their head to teach angels. And that means if they're teaching angels, then we should be learning something too, whenever mm -hmm. we see it. And it means something to us. It's probably good now to define what it means to have long hair because um, some people might have a different view on that. And this is probably the stickiest part of it. Mm -hmm. I used to think that if we have to go to the Greek to understand God's will, then it's not worth obeying. I know that's kind of a silly view now, but where I was coming from was all over the world are people who are barely able to read, and we're going to ask them to go to the Greek to follow God's command. I will say a couple of thoughts. First, I'm glad that God's the judge and not me, because Abraham asked God one time in Genesis 18, will the Lord of heaven not do right? And God can confidently answer, yes, I will do right. God will judge right. And so even if we hear these things and we're like, Ooh, how's God going to do that with people in these cultures and this side of the world and that all of these things, it can feel very overwhelming. Just take a breath and remember this. God's going to judge rightly and he's going to have the type of judgment that's so sure that everyone will praise him for his judgment and, and nobody will be able to say, Hey, he got it wrong. With that in mind, if we don't use the Greek to better understand the Bible, we never would have got the Bible in English in the first place, frankly. Somebody had to take the time to learn Greek and understand mm -hmm. it and then translate it into English. So it's not, uh, it shouldn't be perceived as making commands impossible if we need to go back to the Greek to better understand it. I've heard it said that reading the Bible in English is like black and white and reading the Bible in Greek is like watching colored television. Same story, same imagery, but wow, what a vibrancy there is to watching TV in color versus black and white. So you want to know what this command means in its fullest form? Then what does the word long mean? And what I find is that the word long in Greek is a verb which implies action 
And in English, it's an adjective which implies a description, mm -hmm. right? And so in English, if I have a rope and that rope's 100 feet long and I trim an inch off of that rope, do I still have a long rope? The answer is yes. In English, because I'm looking, I'm describing this long thing. It is a subjective description. Of course it's long. But in Greek, the better explanation would be um, my grass in my backyard. When I don't mow it, I let it grow. What does that mean? That means it's an action of letting it get to as long as it can naturally get. And grass can get pretty long. I've, I've not mowed my yard sometimes <laughs> in a few weeks. and I didn't realize how long it could get. And then other species of grass doesn't get very long. And this hmm. really matters. It really matters because uh, we don't have one type of hair length. That's what I'm getting at, both in English and in Greek, as far as it being uh, describing the length. But my wife's hair, when I married her, was at her waist. And then... Um, she had kids and hormones, and now her hair is down to her knees. So she has long hair, right? Mm. Well, I also have an aunt who her hair is at her shoulders. Never cut her hair, but it only grew to her shoulders. So does she not have long hair? Or what about our, our dear sisters who aren't from a, you know, European, Anglo, whatever you want to call it, white heritage? Um. You know, I think about our African-American, our African, our black sisters who their hair is different than European hair. When I was in Malawi, you want to you talk about uh, challenge and sacrifice. When I was in Malawi, our sisters there in Eastern Africa who obeyed this command, their hair grew about two inches. And it was a very challenging command for them because of the heat in that part of the world. And, uh, you know, it was, it was challenging to uh, keep their hair clean. Many of them who were impoverished, I mean, this is an additional expense. Most of them before they obeyed the gospel just uh, kept their head shaved. That was the normal cultural practice. But taking on that identity, wanting to obey this command for them means their hair is a couple inches long. So are they going to get to heaven on the day of judgment? And, and you know, I know St. Peter is not there. That's the joke is that St. Peter's at the pearly gates. So I'm just, I'm saying it for the joke's sake. But is St. Peter going to say, sorry, you don't get to come in because the, the holy length is 12 inches. You know, that that's or, preposterous. Yeah. Or, or that the longer the hair, the, you know, the, yeah. The more yeah. of an example you are or right. something like that, or greater chance right. you have of your prayer not being hindered. I have a family who've undergone chemotherapy. And uh, frankly, my hair is infinitely longer than hers because she doesn't have any hair. But the point that I'm trying to make is whether you are uh, undergoing chemo and you have no hair, whether you can only grow hair that lasts about two inches before it 
uh, maybe it gets brittle and, and falls out. Whether your hair grows to the ground and you can be like Rapunzel and sweep the floor, you know, whatever the length is in English, all three of those can have long hair in Greek by mm. having a heart that submits, because that's what this is about is a heart issue, submission. And then the behavior, the action that's associated with this issue, and that is letting my hair grow to however long it can be. And so whether it's bald, a little long, or a lot long, all three of those wear the crown of submission that teaches angels on their head. So, so the issue would come in that situation whenever you prevent that growth. Yeah. So... It, so what does that mean for, for men uncovered? It's a good question. Uh, I do get that one as well every time I preach it, and I need to do a better job of actually putting it back into where it was contextually. But this is a long study. By the way, we've been talking for an hour and a half because I, I don't know how to be quiet, but um, the study I give typically is close to an hour whenever I preach it, and that's tough on especially little ones. But mm – -hmm. Um, back in verse, uh, let's see, I think it's five, uh, four. Yeah. I don't have my notes in front of me. You do, but there is the idea of, uh, in Greek to let the hair hang down from men. And so there, I, I will freely admit, maybe I don't have this all figured out yet, but there is a, a degree of subjectivity to it. Where I take comfort in this command about not letting the hair down and uh, keeping my head covered is that I don't want to in any way make people think that I don't want to submit to God. And so the way that I uh, wear my hair, and I've worn my hair longer in the past, it's shorter now as far as that subjective look. Um, in all the ways that I've worn my hair, I've not wanted to come across as a rebel and not submitting to God. Now, I will tell you, I have had hair that got to a point where I had someone reach out to me in a very kind way and say, hey, I'm a little concerned about the way that you're wearing your hair. And I appreciate that they did that because they had my best interest at heart. And even though if I may have disagreed with them, um, I think what men have to remember is that it's not about us wearing our hair down to our knees and then trimming the ends off of it, if mm -hmm. we could grow it that long. Um, it's about us keeping our hair trimmed, not letting it hang down, so to speak, and uh, doing the best we can to honor our head. What do you think? Yeah, um, I, I haven't. I guess unknowingly, I've had pretty much the same mindset. Um, I know whenever my hair is starting to get long, uh, and maybe that is subjective. Um, because for some people, like, oh, that's not long. I've had much longer hair than that. Uh, but I can tell whenever it's starting to get long, and just an awareness of that, and and certainly. You know, one person's idea of long is different than another, but 
I think we just need to have the attitude and the wherewithal to monitor that and to keep ourselves groomed and that um, we're not just letting our hair go, go wild and crazy and grow all over the place. But uh, it's kind of like, a... it's kind of like a yard, you know, you, you, you keep it maintained and not, not just growing wild. There is a scripture in Ezekiel 44 and be careful with these where we don't make New Testament commands out of Old mm-hmm. Testament passages that aren't intended to be. But talking about the priests in Ezekiel 44, it says, verse 20, they must not shave their head nor let their hair grow long, but they must keep the heads of their hair trimmed. So the idea is, you know, these servants of the Lord, um, they made sure to be within their their role and and they kept their hair short or trimmed rather to, to show that. And uh, I think that's a, a healthy benchmark to have is that I'm just going to make sure that I, my hair is trimmed and that it's known to be trimmed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, will, it, go ahead. Well, uh, I want to address this point because maybe somebody has been with us through this, this whole experience. And they're coming out on the other side going, what you're saying may logically make sense, but man, what a shift this would be. And I just don't know if I uh, want to obey this. A couple of thoughts on how this is a really big life change. And and I will say, sisters, this is a big life change for you. Um, With humor, sometimes I'll suggest uh, it's not a very big life change for me to keep my hair short, you know. But realistically, keeping your hair long uh, is a whole lot of work. Mm-hmm. I've had sisters tell me not only is it a whole lot of work, but their family who's not in the church will look down on them and say, "Ooh, that's gross that you're not cutting the split ends off, that you're not taking care of your hair. Like they're associating letting your hair grow long with just being grungy. And uh, certainly, I think, depending on your culture, it's going to take different practices to have this command, but also have good hygiene. Um, But I will say I had a a personal experience with long hair that I like to share. Uh, Marissa had a couple of pre-cancer spots removed from her back. And so she couldn't raise her arms higher than like her mid waist because the muscles in your back, it's crazy how everything's connected. So I had to wash her hair for a couple of weeks. So she would, I would turn the water on and she'd get in the shower and I'd be standing outside the shower and, and she'd get her hair wet. And like I said, it's uh, long hair in the English sense of the word. I'm describing it. It was long. It's down past her waist. And I remember the amount of shampoo that it took to put in that head of hair and wash it. I remember the amount of conditioner that went in that hair and I had to, you know, just get my fingers through it and then combing it. You know, I'd start at the top and like it was one brush and her head like goes with it because her hair is thick. And she's like, no, don't do that. And so learning to start at the very ends and like tease out the bottom and uh, comb out more and more a little bit higher to time. And it ended up being like a, you know, half hour process 
uh, and I'm all sweaty by the end of it. You know, she's got clean <laughs> hair, but I was like, I needed to get in the shower myself at that point. And then plus our girls, you know, I, I, I won't say that I'm always the one who does it, nor am I the main one who does it, but I do help comb our girls hair. And whenever they were little and their hair was right on their head, you know, you could just stick them in their little Sunday dress. But now it's a whole ordeal with these three heads of hair in the house. What I'm trying to say is this. Obeying God is not always convenient. But just because it's not convenient doesn't mean it's not worth it. And the one who I like to relate to is, in this regard, is Jesus, who in the garden said, if there's another way, take this cup from me. But then what's the second part of that prayer? Not my will, but thine, if there's no other way. And so the takeaway from that is that even the Son of God had an anxious spirit, so to speak, if, if I could be so bold as to say that, had an anxious spirit about obeying God. And ultimately, he humbled himself. And so, sister, you may, if you want to give this command um, a try and you you see you value what the Bible teaches on it. It may be that you don't like the command, so to speak, but if you could have the spirit of Christ and say, not my will, but thine, then yeah, I guess I just want to validate that, that we don't have to fall in love with it immediately. I do think it's something you may learn to cherish, but it's not something that I'm going to force you to uh, say, well, I love it now that Jonathan said it. It may take time for you to appreciate that. Yeah, my wife, of course, holds to the, the same thinking as, as yours. And and her hair is not near as long as Marissa's. Uh, it's a little bit shorter and it's it's fairly thin. So it's a little bit easier to maintain and take care of for her. But it's very important to her. And and she sees this as her 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 prayer life, and she values that communication with God. And because of that, she's very adamant about keeping her hair growing, as as we say, uncut, um, because she values that communication with God. And I, I, like like we said earlier, that that is extremely valuable to our our relationship. Yeah. I do think it's funny, the more I give this, those who have shorter hair naturally will tell me how much they wish they had long, longer hair. And then the ones with longer hair wish they had shorter hair. There is, I think it's human nature, but there is kind of this, I wish I had what the other one had. And uh, for the sisters with the really long hair that sometimes feel like, man, I nobody would want this. The ones with naturally shorter hair do often wish their hair was longer. I've, I've found that as a pattern in most places I go. So do you have any conclusion that you would like to kind of put the cherry on top of this pyramid? Well, I don't know if I would call it a cherry because I, I don't want this to come across as threatening, but I do want us to be sober minded about obeying this, mm -hmm. right? So some people might say, well, Jonathan, that was nice, but it's not a salvation issue. Um, this is, you know, the, the, unless the Bible tells me it's a salvation issue, 
then I think it's a liberty or I don't think God's really going to care that much. I think it's a very dangerous mm. uh, path to go down because if you only obey commands that you think are salvation issues, then uh, that, that explicitly say, if you don't do this, you go to hell. I think you'll find that of the thousand New Testament commands, the vast majority of them don't have that tagline on there. Mm -hmm. There are commands that say that um, admonish us to obey God and that if you love me, you'll obey my commands. I, I guess I would like for our listeners to think about this question. What happens if you disobey this command? And so I've got five points for you to think about. Number one, um, you're not following God's traditions. Number two, you're not submitting to God's authority. Number three, you're shaming your head and damaging your prayer life. Number four is for sisters only. You're showing angels rebellion. Number five, you are rebelling against the pattern that's been set forth to all churches about being contentious. Paul said in verse 16, we're not contentious. We don't have that pattern. And if you take a contentious role in saying, I will not do this, even though I understand what it is, I will not do this, then you're taking on that contentious spirit. These are things that I would, I don't want to stand before the Lord with these against me. Hmm. That's, so that's what I share with others. Do you want to stand before the Lord with these against you? You just said, uh, what is a, a trigger word for me? or a trigger phrase, uh, which is salvation issue. I, Whenever I hear someone say <laughs> salvation issue, uh, I cringe because when we think about sin, we as humans, you know, kind of like we talked about earlier, we, we like to stratify, stratify things. We like to say this is more important than this. This is more important than this, you know, and, and we, we put it in order. And we say, as long as I uh, pay attention to this grouping at the top here, uh, these other ones, they're not as big a deal. But God doesn't look at sins horizontally, I like to say. Uh, he doesn't, of course, you know, there's commands, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and this is the greatest command, and love your neighbor. Um, but that's not because... Uh, God is looking at disobeying those things in a horizontal way that this is greater than this, but it's more that everything flows from loving God and everything flows from loving your neighbor. And if you do these things, then everything else will fall into place. But we tend to say, as long as I do these main things, I'm good. And we, we look at sin horizontally, but God looks, I mean, uh, vertically, but God looks horizontally, and we need to be people who are interested in submitting ourselves to God, no matter how great or small we may think it is. God doesn't look as look at sin as great or small; He looks at sin as sin. Mm -hmm. It's all mm -hmm. it's all horizontal; it's not vertical. Well, I'm sorry I triggered you. Yeah. If you need to go to a safe space to get away from my triggering, then I, you know, <laughs> I appreciate uh, you need to go. <laughs> I'll just write you a nasty email later. It's okay. <laughs> you know, let's let's let me frame it this way. Uh, 
a sal a salvation issue. These commands uh, are written to Christians. Mm -hmm. So salvation issues. If people want to to make up definitions and, and words, etc., would mean anything that's going to justify me before God. So for mm -hmm. sinners, yeah, I get it. This and other scriptures that we we commonly argue about and 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 try to get deeper understanding on, etc. It's Paul writing to Christians about Christian living, and so I will say, no sister. And no brother is justified before God by keeping their hair long or short. We're justified by faith. Mm -hmm. And when a sinner recognizes that they have sin and they are wrong and out of the realm of safety, it is by grace through faith that we are justified. Now, faith obviously is not what many see as just an acknowledgement of God. It's obviously, it's a hear, believe, and obey type of faith. Mm -hmm. And that encompasses obeying God's commands. But it is through that faith in Christ that we are put into his church. So maybe what I would call this then is this is a judgment issue. Because judgment is whether or not we take the time to learn God's will and obey it. And Jesus made it very clear that we're going to be judged by what we do. We're going to be judged by our works. We're not saved by our works, but we're going to be judged by them. So here is teaching that we will be judged by. No, I, I, I completely agree. And um, being justified by faith is what causes me to, to not order sins as greater than others. Uh, but to pay attention to all of it, uh, yeah. cause th that last point obeying, uh, great or small. So anyways, I, I appreciate this, this conversation. Um, it's been beneficial to me even, uh, and I really hope that this leads to further conversations, not only with, uh, you know, maybe someone hears this and they you know, start reasoning through their mind and they contact me or you, hopefully you, uh, but I'm happy to talk <laughs> about it as well. But I, I hope it leads to future conversation, whether it be with us or whether it be with, you know, others in their vicinity to discuss this um, and really work through it. And so if we've accomplished anything, I, I hope we've, we've uh, put that pebble out there and people's shoe to kind of kick around a little bit. Ooh, I like that. Tactics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, do you have anything to, to close or, or, or are we good here? Well, I I... yeah. I want your listeners to know I'm, I'm, I'm thankful to be the guest on your program. And yeah. uh, I'm glad to see that your program is doing well and that you are taking initiative. I think there should be a proliferation of just bukus of content, podcast videos. We haven't. Uh, tapped into the TikTok market. I think Aaron Batty's trying to. He's mm -hmm. got a TikTok. Yep. But, you know, there's all these platforms for the gospel to engage with the modern audience. And so thank you, Stuart, for doing that and taking on this initiative, this role. And uh, everybody who's listening, share, like, subscribe. Share, like, subscribe. It's through that that the algorithm gets our content into the hands 
or the ears rather, and the eyes of others who aren't associated with the restoration movement, with the churches of Christ. And we want, that's ultimately what we want. We want to encourage our brethren. We want the church to grow and be strengthened. Likewise, we also want this to go to new places. And how exciting it is to think that some algorithm based on you liking, sharing, subscribing would then recommend this to somebody. Mm. Well said. I, I appreciate that. And, and and we appreciate the work you do as well. It's, it, it's, uh, you know, it, it kind of motivated me cause I was on your, I had always, you know, been planning to make a podcast and then I was on your podcast and you're like, Hey, did you say you're going to make a podcast? And I was like, well, I, I really have to make sure I do it now. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that gave me the push I needed. But I, I think so many of these things, you know, that maybe people are a little bit intimidated to preach, uh, come across so well in a medium like this uh, in just a, a conversational form where people can hear questions asked that maybe they're asking themselves. Um, and I think it comes across well. And so that's, that's what I try to do is I try to put out topics that, you know, some people might be uncomfortable uh, hearing, but maybe, or at least hearing from a pulpit, but um hearing in this this form is uh they're a little bit more receptive to it and so uh that's what i like about podcasts and i'm not saying that there's things that we shouldn't teach from the pulpit that we should just have podcasts about either because i I think anything should be anything scriptural should be teach from taught from the pulpit as long as it's done in a loving way amen well very good check out uh for our listeners, check out pureandsimplebible.com. Uh, also check it out on YouTube, and uh, the podcast is great. You'll find great content there uh, by Jonathan and, and his guests. Thank you, brother. All right, thank you. Well, Stuart's already done an outro, but I'll just say as well, I'm very grateful for the conversation and thankful again to Stuart for having me on Real Bible Application Podcast. Go check it out uh, wherever podcasts are and where you listen to it. And I hope the study was helpful for you. So read 1 Corinthians 11 again. If this is the first time you've heard it presented this way, then study the Word. And let's uh, encourage each other and sharpen each other and become more uh, familiar with and comfortable with the Bible's teaching on this. So reach out to me if you have any questions at pureandsimplebible at gmail.com. And until next week, always remember... God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you.